0: to Discograffiti, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans back on Black Sabbath, along with very special guest Jim Florentine. This is part two of a four-part series. So if you're tuning in for the first time, let's get you all caught up. I just quit my job a few weeks ago while putting the Pavement series together because I do it all, which requires stupid amounts of time. Everything from obtaining the guests, doing all the social media, all the recording and editing, you name it. And I love it. I'd have it no other way. The last six weeks of my career as a hearing instrument specialist was spent literally editing and promoting the Pavement series eight and a half hours a day, non-stop, until there was nothing left to do but leave. So why am I telling you this? Because I'm doubling down on Discog Graffiti. My wife and three-year-old son are doubling down on Disco Graffiti. We're selling our house and planning on living as frugally as possible on the East Coast, and all of that? just to ensure that discography is the standard-bearer for all that's awesome about music. So don't go anywhere when this episode's done. Subscribe! Coming up, we have four fucking weeks of Jim Florentine rating Black Sabbath, then two weeks of Randy Randall from No Age rating Jesus Lizard, Sergio Diaz from Os Mutantes rating his own early work, and on and on and on way into the future. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Check out all the back episodes and share the ones you dig with your friends. Also, join our Facebook group, Disca Graffiti Soldiers of Sound. We're on Instagram and Twitter, too, in case you don't mess with the Zuck. Also, please rate the podcast five stars, along with a beautifully worded review, especially if you're listening to the show on good old Amazon Music, or Spotify, and anywhere else for that matter. It'll help a lot. You can find the link to our legendary playlist in the show notes and also on our website at discograffiti.com if you just hate listening to shitty songs. And if you're like me, and enough's just never enough, then visit patreon.com slash discograffiti and become one of our Patreon soldiers of sound. Our Patreon feed is the ultimate music deep dive. I post three shows a week, the main show on Sunday, then discograffiti's The Private Press with Paul Major on Tuesdays, and a Thursday wildcard episode, which is either an interview with that week's guest or one of our other offshoot shows like Rock Cousteau, Queasy Listening, Battle Royale, and on and on. So hey, try it for a month, you've got nothing to lose. Okay, back to business. First things first, you need to know just how seriously I take this craziness. Discography is heavily researched, and the music is always reassessed with fresh ears. We're not just covering albums. Uh Uh-uh. We do a searingly honest deep-dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and bootlegs. Every release is slapped with an objectively accurate star rating between zero and five, which allows us all to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. And away we go then, with Jim Florentine, as we enter the musically undeniable Sabbath territory that is 1971. All right, 1971, Master of Reality. Master of Reality is uh, album number three, released July 21st, 1971. There's a lot of moves into what became known as stoner rock and sludge metal. You know, all the Caius guys and Queens of the Stone Age Nexus got a lot from this record and the next one, and the single from it is Children of the Grave. Let's talk about the background of this thing. So, we're at Island Studios, London. February to April 1971, Roger Bain back in the chair again. Uh, this is the the final Roger Bain collaboration with Sabbath. So from here forward, Tony Iommi took over uh, as producer for for the next several albums on Children of the Grave, Lord of This World, and Into the Void. Iommi down tuned his guitar even further in an effort to reduce the string tension, uh, and so it's easier for him to play. But also, uh, Geezer wound up down tuning as well so we could match him and that really formed the sound of this record they were just you know tuning lower and lower and lower and and then it just became more and more and more and more evil sounding either the master reality or
1: sabotage is the heaviest Sabbath albums to me in their catalog. Yeah. Both I love the sound on this record. I, it's just just pure heaviness. Doesn't it doesn't sound anything like paranoid, doesn't sound anything like the first record. Right. Um, I, I love it.
0: Mick Wall wrote, bereft even of reverb, leaving their sound as dry as old bones dug up from some desert burial plot. It really is true. Like there's this like um, parched aspect of it. Uh, that is uh, unique up to that point like no one was putting out stuff that that was that heavy at that point to my ears this one and the next one is kind of the peak Uh, this is where i think things get really exciting there's a whole other level when they hit when they hit master reality and then the the next one volume
1: four you're right about that and um you know what there's only like what eight songs on the record and two of them are instrumentals and one of them You know, some of the, I think the instrument, one of the instruments on like 56 seconds or whatever, but that's all it needed. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about Embryo? Yeah. Like, I don't, you don't, you know, I love those old records where it was like eight songs or nine songs, 33 minutes. That's fine. I don't want to fill it. Right. Just give me your best stuff. So, yeah.
0: To me, the perfect length of an album is 42 and a half minutes.
1: Right. And if it's even like those old Van Halen records, some were like 31 minutes, 32, 33. And so, I don't care. That's fine.
0: So Sweet Leaf, um, this is basically their Got to Get You Into My Life. You know that tune by the Beatles? Yep. So that was, I don't know if you know, this. that was Paul McCartney's Valentine to marijuana. Okay, no, I didn't know that. I was alone. I took a ride. I didn't know what I would find there. Got to Get You Into My Life. Uh, It could be, you know, a thousand different things. Sweet Leaf is definitely about weed. This is one of my favorite songs by these guys for sure. Uh, So during the uh, recording sessions, Ozzy brought uh, Tony a a big joint. Uh, Tony was recording acoustic guitar parts and his coughing fit was captured on tape. Uh, Roger Bain uh, got that, looped it, and that was the intro to Sweet Leaf.
1: It's a perfect intro to an album, just somebody coughing over smoking a joint.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then that riff uh, paired with with a drum loop uh, from when the levee breaks is the instrumental basis of rhyming and stealing by the beastie boys. You know, the butthole surfers reworked the song as sweat loaf. Have you ever heard that? No. That's awesome. The next song, After Forever, including the Elegy. My fucking Christ, that riff, man. Guitar, bass, and drums in almost scary lockstep. And this song is in my top ten that I don't quickly think about when Sabbath comes to mind.
1: That's my favorite Sabbath It's my favorite song on the record. Is it really? It.
0: After Forevers?
1: Yeah. Yep. Do you
0: connect with it lyrically as well? You grew up Christian, right?
1: Yeah, which I did. It's funny because, you know, my mom was always like, You can't have these Black Sabbath records. They worship the devil. I this stuff. I'm like, mom, listen to this. You know, but then, you know, I definitely couldn't let her hear, would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope? Do you think he's a fool? <laughs> right. But there was some other Christian lyric in there, right? That was positive, if I'm not mistaken.
0: This is entirely focused on Christian themes, this song. Phenomenal song. Really? I always went right to this song. I just
1: remember listening to this to my brother. I could just picture listening to this get sitting in the backseat of my brother's car just blasting this song away so are your brothers still into this stuff oh yeah
0: yeah still uh, to this day how, how many how many siblings do you have you have like five or six right there's seven of us total um and everybody's still listening to metal or did anyone move on to you know more white
1: glove territory no they're all you know my my one brother that got me into the metal he's more like a stones guy Okay. Okay. You know, it's a, that's his favorite band, the Rolling Stones. But he still likes the, the Sabbath and the ACDC and then Ted Nugent stuff, you know, from the 70s and the Aerosmiths and stuff. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, you know, I think if you got in the Sabbath when you were younger, there's no way you cannot like them when you're older because the songs all stand the test of time. Yeah, that's true. They're so good that, you know, you can always go back and listen to it. It's like, ah, I don't like them anymore
0: right right um we have embryo next uh with kind of a middle eastern sounding intro this is a 29 second song uh <clears throat> if you want to call it a song but it's a beautiful little piece of texture then comes children of the grave and that song is fucking brutal i mean that's that's got to be in my top three of all time with sabbath so heavy and evil it's just yeah. i know i just
1: it is it's it's so great. It's almost like I, I I almost forget about that song sometimes.
0: Yeah, me too. It's not one of the ones that, uh, that you know, they don't hit you over the head with the fact that it exists. They don't I don't know about its appearance on set list. Do they go back to this one often?
1: Ozzy would do it so, solo. He would do. He pull it out some.
0: sometime. Let's talk about Bill Ward here, because I don't know what's going on with the drums, but it, it almost sounds like he's playing steel trash barrels. I think the reason why it has this extremely dark vibe for me is because of that. Those drums really are nuts.
1: Yeah, I just the lyrics, the drums, the music, the heaviness. Um. It's a great track to like close out side one.
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, Side two, we start off with another bid for, you know, mainstream approval in the the guise of acoustic ambience. Uh, Orchid slash Step Up, uh, a minute 30, just an acoustic guitar solo. Then Lord of This World, from where I'm sitting, not quite as mandatory as the rest, but that's only in such exalted company. Great solo though. What's your take on Lord of This World? Lord of this world
1: is either my second or third favorite song besides Into the Void. I'm not sure what comes in second on this record. I always, a, after Forever, Lord of this world, I always go to those two songs first when I listen to this record.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I get uh, After Forever, but <clears throat> Lord of this world uh, feels like a pulling back of the bow a little bit. It does. I I prefer when it's just like bad shit crazy, like Children of the Grave. But I do like Lord of this world. Then you got solitude, which is bong smoke curling in the air before you. You just, one of those classic Sabbath, uh,
1: ambient tunes. They, you know, there was always a rumor, like that's not Ozzy singing, you know, cause Bill sang a couple songs in the later records, but it is yeah, Ozzy. Yeah. And they did something to was voice
0: five minutes, which is longer than their typical, you know, texture tunes, but really, really good. Uh, and then into the void. Holy shit. Um, really really good see i i kind of see it as if you put it up against lord of this world it just feels like a much more powerful sludge metal track than that one
1: no it- it's true i mean i'd say into the, into the void i would i would go i'd have to give that the nudge over uh lord of this world G- getting back to solitude real quick i found this thing hey. on youtube where someone put solitude on a, on a one-hour loop of the oh, song. Nice. Nice. Like I'm on a plane or I'm, I got to go to sleep or something. I put that on. It's so cool. Nice, yeah. So I got new respect for that song. But uh, getting back into the void is just uh, you know a classic, a masterpiece. You know they didn't do that one for a long. Ozzy never did that solo when when he got back with Sabbath. Then they started putting that back in the set. They they did that every time when they got back with Sabbath.
0: <clears throat> it's uh, it's very sinister. And again, that's like you know my favorite thing about this band. They doesn't feel like they're playing at this shit. It feels like they're really they're really in it. And this is a perfect indicator of this song. And there's been tons of covers of this. Soundgarden covered this. Uh, Caius, Monster Magnet, Sleep. Yeah, I've heard a bunch of covers of this song. Now, with this record, we're getting into an area where the band is not overexposed, the riffs are more scalding, and the band is settled into a much deeper groove. The songs haven't been bludgeoned to death on rock and roll radio, so it's always a pleasure to hear them. And the second side is completely consistent, which was what cursed the B-sides of the first two records, a classic five stars. Five stars, no question. <clears throat> the next record provided cover art inspiration for your terrorizing telemarketers.
1: Absolutely, Volume 4.
0: Volume 4 in 1972, September I was six months old when this shit came out. Although the production is officially credited to Black Sabbath and Patrick Meehan, uh, the the bulk of it was actually done by just Dayomi himself.
1: This is a big drug record where they were like, they recorded in Hollywood, California. They were, yes. you know, huge and popular. So they just did big cocaine days. They had like strippers and groupies. They'd hang out in jacuzzi doing coke and hanging out with strippers and groupies and then they get out of jacuzzi go write a song and jump right back in the jacuzzi what a great (laughs) way to record an album
0: it just seems amazing and yet somehow You know, most albums that are recorded like that is a fucking Puddle of Diarrhea. This record is amazing. So, uh, and also the recording was plagued with problems, mainly due to the substance abuse, but for, you know, a lot of other problems as well. So they'd rented a house in Bel Air. Uh, If you've never been to Bel Air, It's as upper crust as upper crust gets. Ozzy says, uh, he admits, eventually we started to wonder where the fuck all the Coke was coming from. That Coke was the whitest, purest, strongest stuff you could ever imagine. During a show in support of the record, actually, at the Hollywood Bowl, um, Tony actually collapsed afterwards. 2013, Geezer talked to Mojo magazine about heroin uh, because that too had entered the picture. So they apparently never shot up, but they sniffed it. Um, and what he said was, I didn't realize how, how nuts things had gotten until I went home and the girl I was with didn't recognize me. Also, Bill Ward was starting to get a little bit, uh, a little bit paranoid that he was going to be kicked out of the band.
1: They always would mess with Bill Ward. And yeah, kind of like yeah. bully him and pick on him like he was the whipping boy of the band
0: he was apparently struggling to record certain things on the record cornucopia especially he talks about how he hated cornucopia he says there were some patterns that were just horrible i nailed it in the end but the reaction i got was the cold shoulder from everybody i felt like i'd blown it i was about to get fired
1: yeah well that was probably the coke being paranoid i being on coke
0: too if booze and dope had helped to fuel the uh, the earlier records. Volume four is Coke, Coke all the way. So, uh, but yet it's right in that sweet spot when the drugs were still working, the music was still sounding great, everything was still good. That would not be the case soon enough. Let's talk about the record, man. Tell me how this fits in with, with your love of Sabbath.
1: You know, for a long time, this was, I like this record a lot. But it wasn't one of my favorites. It wasn't in my top four or five of the old Sabbath records. Mm-hmm. And in the last like 10 years, it's right up there. I found a new love for this record. I don't know why. If it was a go-to Sabbath record, I just wanted to play some Sabbath. I'd go to Master Reality. I'd go to the first one. I'd go to Sabotage. Nice, but This one, I just rediscovered and just the love of this record. is just so much going on. And just so, the, the songs are just perfect. You know what's great is they've been releasing these Black Sabbath box sets with all these extra stuff Some from stuff. the studio. This yeah. rare. I, I got all of that stuff, so I've been listening to all the, the extra stuff on Volume 4, especially. It's a great box set with all these different versions of the songs and them in the studio and demos. It's really cool.
0: And and, and live stuff from that time.
1: Yeah, live stuff that they never, you know, you, you know they didn't really put out a – a real live album to like the reunion album, you yeah. know, later, later on, but there was never some, and that, yeah, they're playing a lot of songs from the album It's great.
0: So t- tell me why the cover art from this one, that this is what you chose for terrorizing telemarketers. Was it just a spontaneous? And is it just the first one that you use it on? Or is it is it? Every well, no,
1: because well, cause we were we were just calling terrorizing telemarketers volume one, volume two, volume three. And when it yeah, came yeah. volume four, we're like, we got to use that. Which, by the way, this album was supposed to be called Snowblind. But the record label said, no, you can't make it a drug wreck yeah. reference on the title
0: so there's a uh, a mention on the back side on the on the back cover of the record they, they do it in such a it's funny because they're they're so not looking to be discreet about it at all so they just uh, talk about that in capital letters c-o-k-e cola company of of america coke fueled this record and this was during a time when uh, i can't remember the exact year But Coke was on the fucking cover of, I believe it was Time Magazine, as a like a wonder drug, and you know these guys were kind of dipping into that 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 perspective. Well, of you know this is, but you know might be dangerous down the line, but we're getting a lot out of this right now, so fuck
1: it. Absolutely, yeah, they they were probably mad because that's what they had to do with the paranoid record, and now you're telling us we can't call it Snowblind, which the record was supposed to be called Snowblind. We can't do that it's, all right so we're gonna at least put some subtle stuff on here
0: yeah and even even lester bangs at this point he threw in the the he fucking waved the white the white flag oh well, he finally comes along <laughs> on the totally fourth record comes around totally comes around so mm-hmm. that's good that's good to see because i respect that guy and it's good to see that he actually uh he woke up so track one wheels of confusion Eight minutes long. Some would say not the best idea as far as how to start your record off, but fucking hell, is it a great idea for them to have started their record off with this? Um, Unbelievable. Un- oh, good.
1: Probably the most underrated Black Sabbath track of their of their catalog.
0: You you think so? You think this yeah. is the one? Yeah, it really is just a perfect introduction, and then the type of song that you you know don't find appealing, you know that three minute distillation of all that stuff they do well. I'm really curious to see if uh, or to hear if Tomorrow's Dream actually ticks those boxes for you. Tomorrow's Dream's
1: a a solid song, not you know not my favorite on the record, but very solid.
0: You think it's too much like Paranoid, where it tries to do everything in too quick? No, no, no. I, I just.
1: You know, I liked other stuff more on the, on this record than Tomorrow's Dream. There's so much right, going right. on that, you know, there's so many great tracks on this record, you know, that it'd be, in, it'd be in the bottom half of my favorites.
0: Huh, okay. I mean, this is, I think this is one of their all-time best riffs. Yeah, I never, I mean, it, it's
1: a great riff. Do you, I hate, know.
0: do you hate changes?
1: I love changes. You do? Okay. Love it
0: yeah yeah and you've heard the charles the charles bradley cover
1: it makes you cry
0: it really does yeah totally unexpected i i'm guessing that he didn't know what the song was and you know uh fortunately for the universe somebody introduced it to him because it really i agree with you more emotionally affecting than the uh the uh uh the original version
1: it definitely is yeah yeah but i love changes on volume four i love you know coming from wheels of confusion Tomorrow's Dream. that changes a complete yeah you know a, a slow ballad which was actually you know that was like their first ballad about about a, you know a relationship which you know they never wrote songs about that
0: it actually about um bill ward's breakup with his first wife right
1: which you know the sabbath was never writing songs about that
0: iomi who's playing the piano he didn't even You know, he didn't really even know how to play piano. He found a piano in the ballroom of that Bel Air mansion they were renting, and that's where he composed it.
1: There's a great, you know, they, uh, Sabbath that, uh, on their last tour, they released a DVD called The End.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Did you ever see them when they go back in the studio and do changes? We're going to be talking
0: about it. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah, Yeah, that's the, that's basically the wrap up. Uh, I believe that was the last time they ever played together, right? Yeah, yeah. That was it. Um, so next up is effects, uh, which is a, a, an instrumental shorter than two minutes. Uh, that was uh, kind of came about spur of the moment. Um, so apparently after smoking some hash, uh, a crucifix that was hanging from, from Iomi's neck accidentally struck the strings of his guitar and produced a fucking weird sound that echo effect was added. And uh the the band just came up with a bunch of odd sound effects and the the song apparently is kind of a joke
1: um yeah i mean i would consider it it's like all right it's a break but it's like what what is going on there like if you're not in that drug world or whatever they were on at the time you don't get it but it's it's okay it's like you know it's another little break in the record
0: do you have a you have a, a sordid past? You, I mean, did you used to, to did you get into any scrapes with this kind of shit with? Uh, no, no,
1: coke? I never did coke in my life. Oh, uh, really? You're lucky. I, I saw my friends, you know, we used to always drink on the weekends. You know, Friday, we get off of work and get a couple six packs and just get drunk and then go out yeah. to the club, and try to pick up girls. And then and that was fine. And then they was, all of a sudden, coke started coming around. I saw my friends. Uh, the way they acted on it, I go, I don't want to be like that at all.
0: Yeah. So you were just a beer and weed type guy from the get-go? Uh, not
1: even, you know, weed for a little bit. Weed from like maybe 14 to 17 uh-huh. because it just made me paranoid and tired. Yeah. And I stopped that. I smoked a little here and there over the years, but rarely anything.
0: So just uh, just some beer here and there. Yeah, just beer. Yeah. But I
1: really, I just, I didn't like the way my friends acted. They got all serious. They were babbling about nothing. Right. Right. Droning on and on, repeating themselves and then wasting, you know, 250 bucks for an eight ball. We're only making $300 a week. Right. Right. With our job. I'm like, that's just stupid.
0: So for, for comedians in that, in those circles, what do you see as being, what's the most, uh, the frequent, substance that that crosses your path
1: uh it's weed now but it used to just be booze i'm surprised that it'd be weed yeah all the all the comics are like stoners now that's that's that's
0: amazing to me because it wouldn't make you self-conscious and paranoid up there
1: i don't know whatever they take works or maybe they do it before or after or you know or after the show or something but they're more weed people you know um not so much coke there wasn't that you know by the time i started doing stand-up coke there was i guess the generation before me was big coke heads but not so much coke
0: what year when did you start what year did you start 91 okay okay uh, i want to talk with you more about that at the end of this i'm really curious about your beginnings but uh, now i think i'm just uh, beating around the bush because i'm so nervous to talk about the next song because there's only you only get one chance to talk about super man and what uh, i mean this is this could be my favorite song by them. It very well could be. I mean, it just feels like a runaway freight train, especially the way Iomi's riff dances with, with uh, Bill Wart's hi-hat stuff. It, it just scorches. I mean, the solo stings, uh, the riff is nonstop. The way it owns the space right out of the gate, and then it, at 2 minutes and 45 seconds there's something that actually can be called with a straight face a sort of calypso breakdown i don't know what the fuck it is but it's completely unexpected and works like a charm
1: yeah it does it breaks i know you know
0: that point i'm talking about
1: yeah yeah it is a weird breakdown in the song
0: very very strange and this is a favorite song of some really interesting people uh frank zappa it was a, a big favorite of his Big favorite of John Bonham's. It's unbelievable.
1: I mean, it's it's probably in my top, uh, at least top, top fifteen Sabbath songs of all time. Maybe in the top ten.
0: And and that that riff. I mean, it's,
1: it really is crazy. I mean, it is. I I don't understand why Sabbath didn't keep that in the set list after this tour. Like you know, in the later tours, you would think that uh, that song, but they didn't.
0: Do you know? Are they just uh, they're just over it? Did you ever ask them about certain songs?
1: And no. What? No. no, but you know, it was always off this album was always Snowblind and uh, sometimes Tomorrow's Dream they would play live. Yeah, and that was about, I don't think that, you know, after, you know, one day when they got into like the Sad Boy Saboteur and the Sabotage they could, you know, I think Snowblind was the only song they were playing off this.
0: Snowblind, by the way, I'm pretty sure that that's a drug song. Uh, probably. Yeah, I think it is. You know, in the '60s, when you had to dance real pretty when the media would ask you, "Is this song about drugs?" You know, Bob Dylan saying stuff like, "I don't know how to write a drug song, even if I could." Uh, at this point, we're way beyond that. The song is leading with drugs; it just happens to be a great song too, right? So this I is was the-
1: never—I never went crazy when. They would play this in concert, though. Why? Because I loved, the song's great. They'll get me wrong, but I just like they would play it all the time. Like if Sabbath got back together, it was always in the set list. Yeah. I thought there could be other songs, you know, like a, a Supernaught that could be played instead of Snowblind, but they always played "Went to Snowblind."
0: Yeah, this, I prefer Supernaught over Snowblind, but Snowblind's awesome. I mean, yeah,
1: definitely. I think Ozzy liked to do this song live just so we can yell "cocaine." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Courtney Copia is next up. Uh, You're Going Insane, I'm Trying to Save Your Brain is another great one. Maybe just a notch below the rest on the LP, but a solid tune.
1: Unbelievable. Great song. Great underrated song.
0: So you think this is one of the better songs on the record? Well, it's in the top four.
1: There's so many good ones, so I, I I put it in the top four. Not as good as Supernaut, not as good as Wheels of Confusion. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Those are probably my two favorites on the record. Yeah, and of course Under the Sun as well, which we'll get to. Uh, and then Saint Vitus Dance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This record is is really strong. So Laguna Sunrise is next. I think one of their best uh, textured ambient works. Saint Vitus Dance. Not really very satiny, but you I like it a lot. Love this one. Yeah
1: it's really good i don't it like it there's so many good songs on this and the, this album's like all over the place so you got changes yeah, laguna sunrise that it just it almost gets a little lost in the mix but it's so good it's true it kind of does a little bit like um, if you went to this album you wouldn't go just go to this track uh, no. let me listen to saint Vitus dance it'd have to be part of the whole record where it fits in perfect but um, so i think it gets a little lost in the mix
0: yeah, it probably does. And I've, I've never gone to, to this record, or I don't, I don't think I've gone to any of their records just to hear a song. It's it's always put on the whole album. They're definitely an album band. And then we close out with Under the Sun, and we are back on Evil Terra Firma. I love going out with a great one on their records, because when they go out with a, with a great one, it, it really... Uh, you know, it always just manages to be even better than it than it has any right to be, and this is one of those. <clears throat> this, along with Master of Reality, is what I think of when I think of Black Sabbath. Uh, they were most certainly firing on all cylinders for volume four, I'm assuming because of the cocaine involved, amongst many other things. It just fucking rips. They sound so unbelievably confident throughout the entire record. Totally on top of their game. I believe Cornucopia and St. Vita's Dance are the two weakest tracks, and they're great. So it's a must-own five stars.
1: It's, you know, I'm not thinking about it now. Look, look at the last two closing tracks on Master Outing Volume 4, Under the Sun and Into the Void. Yeah, phenomenal like you know yeah, a yeah, lot of bands crazy. won't put that a uh, song th- those songs that strong to close an album out
0: you personally are really partial to their album closers starting from album number one i'm trying to you know and i should notice
1: but the paranoid what does fairies wear boots close that record out it does
0: it does yeah it i does. mean another so you know one these really strong epics i mean these are not like- yeah yeah like short punchy tunes these are like you know just yeah let's sit
1: and hang a while because usually you throw them at the end like all right we'll just throw it it's okay the last track but you yeah, know you don't, yeah. don't want to bury it that far into the album okay you know you're like no that's a really good song let's put it closer to the front
0: you know we diverge on this point but um the first record warning is a is a very odd way to close the record i think um a good way but certainly not indicative of the the styles of tunes that would that would wind up closing their records now we have a live record i like to i want to talk about this now because even though well,
1: i it was, give it well by the way a volume four five stars
0: oh okay you did i forgot you hadn't, okay so this, yeah so far you're all five right all five Live at Last was released in 1980, but I just want to do a quick mention of it on Discography. We don't really linger on the live albums. It was a
1: cash grab from a record company that owned the rights to it that Sabbath didn't approve. They didn't want it out. They didn't That's like the right. way it sounded. It was it was available on bootleg before they even put it out. I think my brother had it on bootleg.
0: That's right. Uh-huh. It was all about Patrick Meehan. So, Patrick, yeah. yeah, so he was I guess he was fired in the late 70s. But right. then so it was, was like
1: around 1972, because I don't think there's anything on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath on there. Uh,
0: it was recorded in 73. OK, um, so before Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yeah, this was uh, March 73. Okay. So, th- yeah, this this was recorded before Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. I never really got into it. I don't know, for some reason. I mean,
1: they released it after Ozzy was out of a the band that came out in 80 I was like oh, I think cuz I already heard it I had it on bootleg
0: <clears throat> you may you may think otherwise for me I'd rather hear the studio versions of all these songs yes but um, anyway we're in a different phase now man phase 2 tempering the metal this bells und whistles 1973 to 75 not not quite sure why the german thing just decided to go that direction 1973 sabbath bloody sabbath <clears throat> album number five, released in in December 73, produced by the band <clears throat> and recorded in London in September 73. Uh, one single, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. What do you think about this record? Well, first, I know that they had trouble. Like, they,
1: they went to recording studio and they had nothing. Right. They were just sitting around for like a few weeks, and Tony, like, we don't have anything. They were really nervous that they weren't, they didn't know what, they thought they lost all the creative juices. And then Tony came up with the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath riff later on and like all right then they started the record i used to have this one high up in the in the Aussie era albums but it's gotten lower over the years and it's definitely lower for me and really? volume four has moved way up
0: yes that's interesting this one has always been super high for me um i really love this record uh you're you're spot on with the with the title track they basically were looking to recreate the vibe of volume four. So they, you know, they came back to Bel Air, they rented a house, they, but it just wasn't common. And, you know, they were getting fucked up all the time. They were tired and weren't able to complete anything. All they were doing is sitting and waiting for Tony to come up with stuff. So if he didn't come up with anything, nobody would do anything. Right. Yeah, Tony.
1: Absolutely. And Tony had the writer's block at the time. It was Right.
0: They were in LA for a month and nothing to show for it. So they came back to, to England. They rented a fucking castle as one does. This is a castle that had Previously housed such denizens as Led Zeppelin, Mott the Hoople, and Deep Purple. They almost, uh, Geezer said, We almost thought we were finished as a band. Once Tony came out with the initial riff for Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, we went, We're back. One cool factoid, especially for someone like you, Jim, who, who hates proc, uh, that Rick Wakeman from Yes was brought in as a session player. He's on Sabra Cadabra. Yeah also uh, some members of led zeppelin they showed up at the studio during uh during the recording of the of the record john bonham was very psyched to play a version of supernaut but sabbath preferred to play material other uh than their own so in the end the two the two bands had an improvised jam session which was recorded but never released have you heard this i never did no I, i wonder if it's even possible to track this down I'm sure it would have been out there by now.
1: Like, it's definitely not out there because I definitely would have been on my radar at some point.
0: It's probably going to be incredibly disappointing because if it's just them yeah. lazily jamming, it, it how good could it be? True. Ozzy said that Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath was the beginning of the end for the original lineup. He said that uh, it's really the album after which I should have said goodbye because after that, I really started unraveling. Then we ended up falling out of favor with each other. All kinds well, he also
1: of- didn't like the last three records, which I definitely have an issue with, especially with the Sabotage record. So meaning which, uh, meaning sabotage, sabotage, Technical Ecstasy, and Never Say Die, which I have a, okay, a okay. big problem with Sabotage. I'm thinking it wasn't a good record.
0: That, that That doesn't make any sense. I mean, usually the artist is the worst person to assess their own career right sabotage is definitely not a bad record uh building on the changes that were introduced on the last record some of these new songs incorporated synthesizers strings keyboards tony iomi even experimented with sitar and bagpipes but felt like he wasn't able to master the instruments did you know about that sitar and bagpipes i didn't know that no i mean that's like some serious spinal tap shit. Well,
1: you know, I mean, Bon Scott used bagpipes, on it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And that was, what, like 76? Uh,
0: Look, I love this record. I love the spirit of experimentation on it. Uh, I love that they were, you know, broadening their horizons, but yet somehow the music wasn't suffering as a result. Ozzy says that Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath was their last truly great album. Uh, He says, with the music, we'd managed to strike just the right balance between our old heaviness and our new experimental side. What a great record, man. I mean, from my perspective, uh, it's riding just that fine line between broadening the sound uh, and retaining what they had. So Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, the title track, that is one of the, I have a, a really big pet peeve when it comes to guitar solos. If you can get a lyrical cue that is uh, powerful enough, it makes the guitar solo even better. So that... Section where he screams, "You bastards!" and then iomi going bad crazy right after that. It's one of the best moments in Sabbath history.
1: No, without a doubt. I mean, it's it's in the top ten best Sabbath songs. It's heavy. ozzy's uh, yeah. singing so high in this song that they could never really do it live in concert because he couldn't hit those notes. They did yeah. it for a little bit, but they never even like when Sabbath got back together and later on Never Say Die tour, he just couldn't hit it. He sung so high on this. Which is a shame.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't try to figure out a way to reconfigure it because it's worth exhuming this one. If you've never heard these guys before and you're listening to everything straight through chronologically, it's immediately clear that these guys are attempting to spread their wings and fly much higher than attempted previously. So, there's a broader instrumental palette, it soars, sometimes even breathes in a whisper like in the chorus but it doesn't diminish the ferocity of it. I think Slash is the one who said it's the greatest riff of all time. He said uh, it's the heaviest shit he's ever heard in his life. Okay, yeah, something like that, yeah. To this day, I haven't heard anything as heavy that has as much soul. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and Brett, Brent Hines of Mastodon <clears throat> said the dreams turn to nightmares, heaven turns to hell riff. At the end of that song is unbeatable.
1: And just to start the album off with this track. I know, it's crazy. Just hit you over the head right off the bat.
0: Yeah, so that's number one. That's like... Like, enough, like power-wise, to allow you to subsist on what would typically take an entire record. But then you have a national acrobat. That's a really interesting song. It transforms into this totally insane, off-the-wall, top-shelf Sabbath thing, and then shoots up and out, and it's gone. It it, uh, it totally won me over. The song's genius. It's either. Either
1: this or Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is my favorite song on the record. I always, if I went to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, I'd always go to this song first, a national acrobat.
0: Tell me about what you like about this song.
1: Well, this, uh, this is a prime example of two great songs in one song.
0: My only criticism of this song, I could do with a little bit more of that second part of the song. True. It's so crazy. And it's only a, like a minute and 20 seconds.
1: No, yeah, it's true. I know. you. Yeah. You wish they could extend it a little longer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the song's about jizz. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, look, these first two
1: back-to-back are like, if you, I'd put them up against any first two songs on a, a Sabbath record. Agreed. Like Agreed. track one, track two.
0: No, I agree. I totally agree. Fluff is great because <clears throat> it's another ambient thing. And somehow... You know, the guys always wind up bringing the juice on these comedowns, and they're never cheesy or stupid. Uh, this one's got like harpsichord flavors all up in it. But to come after that end section of a national acrobat, where it just flies up and out of the ceiling of the song, and then for fluff to be what follows that up is just genius to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know, you know, it reminds me of a, like Laguna Sunrise. If I'm just yeah, playing yeah. the album from beginning to end, then I'll leave it on, but I kind of not that I hate it, but I'll skip over this track. It's kind of like eh, it's all right. I, I just, mean, it's interesting, uh, definitely. It's not hacky at all. I, I, did,
0: I just like that it's coming out of such madness. Well, yeah, you know, some texture is the record for me because yeah, you know, it's uh, at the end of National Acrobat. The last thing you're thinking of is you know it would make sense here harpsichords. True, you're right. And then Sabra Cadabra, which is probably my least favorite song by the band up to this point. Do you you like this one? I'm not crazy about it. You know, I used to, but then it's like, ah, you really—it's kind of corny. Yeah, there's like there's a little bit of boogie in it, and also some other weird competing flavors like barrelhouse piano. I don't know what the fuck that kind of rolling barrelhouse piano is doing in this. Definitely one of my least favorite tunes on the record.
1: Yeah i agree
0: killing yourself to live opens up the second side and it's got a very strong coke fueled gallop and i would kind of define this one as like prog metal but really really good this one this is a strong tune love the song love killing yourself to live it's my third favorite song nice did you uh designate like from top to bottom all your favorites and least favorites no but i'm just thinking
1: now i'm just I'm thinking about the album that's yeah, yeah. my third favorite track
0: who are you? What do you think about who are you? Uh, I'm not a it's, fan. It's, it's weird. I mean, it's
1: okay. But then, I don't know, when I just, I'm not, not crazy about it.
0: You and I both agree the first six records are their imperial period. This is my least favorite song of their imperial period. It's just like the farty opening synths, that's a thumbs down. The tempo of the song, how slow it is, that's a thumbs down. The mid song Marshall drum rhythms is a thumbs down. Pretty much everything related to this puddle of excrement is an oof. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's um, I don't know. Yeah. It's just weird and doesn't really fit. Yeah. Absolutely. Between that and sabracadabra. Like, those are the two songs that, to me, on the first five records, they weren't great. It's,
0: it doesn't kill the album for me, but it's definitely a skipper Yeah. Uh, Looking for Today is a good course correction. You know, I love that sort of Coke-Gallop thing they were doing at this uh, at this stage. And that get acoustic guitar chorus has a has a real strong, woe is me kind of vibe to it. You gotta love a metal song where the lyric is, the pain begins to eat your pride. You can't believe in anything you knew. When was the last time that you cried? Still a killer, even though in it in its heart it's a weepy. Yeah,
1: it's it's um you know, I like this song. It's it's good. It's not it's good. It's not it's good. not a ten, but it's it's yeah. solid. It's really good.
0: Yeah. It's like a solid seven or eight. Yeah, yep, Yeah. But
1: then Spiral Architect, that's a ten. See now that one I always liked, but I wasn't Completely crazy about it. But then when they did the reunion tour and they put it on the live album, the reunion album, yeah, yeah. live, I was like, wow. They pulled this one out Smile and I got a new love and appreciation for that song.
0: I think it's really amazing. The strings work, the guitar dynamics in the intro section really has a very uh, redolent air of pinball wizard, but it's their own thing. And it doesn't feel like they're stealing it. This is their ambition and their talent writ very, very large. I think this is a peak for them.
1: It's a great song. It is. Yeah, yeah. No question. Another great song to close out the
0: record. So as a whole, uh, this one's both exciting and an unabashed purveyor of growing pains. It spreads its wings and in the minds of its creators, it's their pinnacle. I used to think it was up there. Now, for the purposes of this trawl, I see that it's just a wee bit of a step down. Four and a quarter stars for me.
1: That's exactly what I was going to rate it. Yeah, Four and a quarter, yeah.
0: That seems fair. Yeah. You know, for the Aussie era stuff, this is kind of the last... The The, the next album is really the last great one, uh, Sabotage, number six. February 75 is, is when they started work on it, again in England. They chose the title because the band at the time were being sued by their former management and they felt like they were being sabotaged all the way along the line and getting punched from all sides, according to Tony. It was probably the only album ever made with lawyers in the studio, said Bill Ward. So because of the legal troubles, Tony Iommi credits the album's angry, heavier sound to that.
1: They were going in the court, going depositions and then going back in their studio back and forth. They, you know, woke up one day after after all those records and tours and around that, they just got completely ripped off by their management. and right. They had no money. You know, they would just tell him, Ozzy, go, look, I want a Rolls Royce. All right, go get it. Yeah, you sure. Yeah, no problem. And then, you know, they didn't go through all their money, but they're like, they never saw any of it. They just thought the management was taking care of it. And meanwhile, there was no money left and they were completely broke after those five classic albums and all those tours.
0: This is a really, this is a classic story because it's basically every band, you know, if you're not doing well as a band, you don't make any money. If you're doing well as a band, you're so dizzy with your day to day schedule that you don't have time to look around and see that you have no money, yeah, you know you just ask for things and you're given them, but as far as looking into your own bank account, there's nothing there yeah, so this is yet another band that had to go through this this horseshit you know this is uh, one thing that uh, that Tony said that was was interesting we could have continued and gone on and on getting more technical using orchestras and everything else, which we didn't particularly want to. We took a look at ourselves and we wanted to do a rock album. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath wasn't a rock album, really. Uh, the recording sessions would usually carry on into the middle of the night. And these guys were, again, you know, doing a lot of experimenting. Bill Ward experimenting with the drums, especially that backward cymbal effect. But Ozzy was getting, was, was starting to get, you know, really antsy. From his point of view, the way they had it for the first record, where you record the whole thing in a day and mix it in a day, that they never improved on that theory of recording. He wrote in his autobiography that Sabotage took about 4,000 years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know they were
1: going through some crap and stuff like that, but I don't care how long this record took, it's my favorite Sabbath album. Between this and Master Reality, they're the two heaviest Sabbath albums.
0: That is super interesting. That this is your favorite. It's a powerful record. It's a really powerful record. These guys were going through some serious shit in their personal lives too, and I feel like that gives it uh, an underpinning that the other records don't have. It's angry and it's heavy, and I
1: love it. Yeah. Do you like the cover? Or do you hate the cover? Because a the lot of the just stuff, it is what it is. I mean, it's I not. like I, know. It. I like it. Yeah, it, it's it doesn't bother me. I mean, it does. The sad bloody Sabbath cover obviously is way better.
0: But this is uh, the only reason I am mentioning it is because Sabotage is roundly regarded as one of the worst album covers in rock history. No, I mean you know.
1: Yeah, but I don't know why. I mean, it's well, a, Bill like, Ward was wearing I think someone's tights, some woman's tights, or it's, maybe it's, I always well, yeah, wife's tights or something. Yeah. The, the cover, never mind. Cover, I, I I like it. I mean, it's a like a classic album cover for me because I always yeah. know what's inside
0: right exactly exactly so this was released uh on june 28th 75 peaked at number 28 in the u.s uh let's talk about how it kicks off hole in the sky well just get real quick the, the next two
1: albums are terrible album covers for me especially compared to sabotage
0: technical ecstasy
1: especially yeah even never say die like that was supposed to be like a rainbow album cover right you know? just
0: interchangeable
1: yeah Um, Hole in the Sky, uh, unbelievable way to start a record off.
0: It really is amazing. And it's got, you know, what I really like to the, the way that the song chugs is that it has a certain kind of sleaze to it. Yep that I didn't really see before. I mean, there's there's songs coming up like at this period in their history that are kind of sleazy, like Dirty Women, where they weren't really going there before. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like it has a, almost like a, an American woman kind of vibe to it. Another great solo and uh, just a perfect opener. This is a great song, man. Heavy
1: Ozzy singing really high register too, which, yeah. you know, he couldn't recreate later on and his right, career right. and stuff, unfortunately, because these songs would have been amazing live. You know, that one past lives record they recorded at Asbury Park at the convention hall, which I've been there a bunch of time. And they did a bunch of these songs off this record. It, was just, it wasn't it was even out yet. Ozzy was saying, hey, we got a record coming out in a few weeks and stuff. So they did Megalomania live, um, Hole in the Sky, and I think The Writ off this record.
0: Fucking the rip, man. I mean, there's some really amazing songs on this one. So Don't Start Too Late, another sort of textural ambient thing. 49 seconds, not much to talk about there. But
1: you need a break in between Hole in the Sky and the next song that's coming after Don't Start Too Late.
0: That's true. I mean, there's some sprawling tunes here. And Symptom of the Universe is one of the kings. Uh, It has a different kind of feel to it. You know, I wonder how you communicate the intricacies of what you want in the studio if the genre simply hadn't been invented yet. Ozzy's vocal, which is kind of has this like evil taunting playground sneer. Like just before four minutes, there is a sick solo, like completely off the charts. It sounds like it's bursting out of the speakers and then melts down into this blues breakdown that's, Sounded like it emerged from side two of the debut record, and on and on into a cyclical, almost John Fahey-like coda. It's one of their most ambitious songs. I love that
1: blues breakdown at the
0: end. You know, when they did this
1: song live a few times, whatever, they never, um, they wouldn't do that blues breakdown at the end. Really? Yeah, they would cut it off. At you know, they wouldn't go to that. They wouldn't go that far with it.
0: Did you ever ask Ozzy what the reason was behind that? No,
1: he wouldn't have remembered. Maybe they might have done it then next door too, but they never did that the the, the last part of the song. It's to me, it's like, "Sent of the Universe Riff and Sad Bloody Sabbath the two best riffs I always ever written in his career.
0: You think so? You think this one's in the top top two?
1: Absolutely. It could yeah. be better. Yeah, I mean it's probably second to Sad Bloody Sabbath riff.
0: Probably the main reason why I think it's sad that they would abandon or um, excise that blues breakdown part. Is that uh, unlike the rest of the song, which was all Tony, that part evolved from an in studio jam and it was created spontaneously in one day? So to think that they, you know, tossed what the band's work was is that's a bummer.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they did that. I'm surprised, but I just remember they never did that. And I always liked that part of the song, that breakdown.
0: So you're you're way more, uh, you know, I like metal a lot, but, but you're obviously the metal guy. So the main riff to the song is considered to be a huge contribution to the birth of thrash. Uh, would yeah. you think that's accurate or, or you know, are there songs that, that way...
1: No, per- I definitely absolutely think that. I mean, it definitely, you know, Metallica said, you know, the Sabbath stuff was a huge influence on them and they wanted a first thrash band, so... Absolutely. Yeah, is,
0: it's incredible how you have this like initial supernova of this band creating this genre, and then these uh, starbursts of micro-genres that fly out at you. It's pretty impressive.
1: When Ozzy was on tour with Metallica it was open up, they were on their Master of Puppets tour, and he said that Cliff Burton, when he was still alive, that was the last one, he said he would just go walk around playing um, Sabbath bass riffs on his, on his bass guitar to Ozzy, He's like i don't remember that stuff because the guy that constantly he knew everything about my career and all the savage right, stuff right. and cliff was a huge part of that band at the time especially you know the first three records he was on
0: yeah that must be nuts to be you know to be an Ozzy shoe or any of these guys but let's just say Ozzy specifically it's pretty well documented that he he probably doesn't have much memory left yet he's surrounded by these people who could play every note of his career thank god right yeah because if he didn't have those people, it's like Brian Wilson. Are you at all a Beach Boys fan or is that way out of your will? Not hat? really, but I know a little about Brian Wilson and the craziness in his life. If you take away the metal thing, you know, him and Ozzy, there's not much of a difference there. You know, these are guys who, through whatever personal quirks, uh, substance abuse was the solution to their problems. So, uh, megalomania. Uh, that, Let's I talk mean, about what could you say song? about
1: the song? It's just it, a masterpiece. I mean, in my top five Sabbath songs of all time, probably top three, um, just angry, just what's going on with them, all about it, the management and, right. you know, and all that. Just So it's just vicious. And it's like, you always want to, you know, like a band or a songwriter to write an album when they get divorced, when they're going through some shit, some personal stuff in their life. That's always when they come up with the greatest material. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is part of megalomania is part of it. It's just... Do you, fa-
0: do you have a favorite
1: divorce album? No, but I just know when an artist is going through some shit, you know, even with my yeah, standup yeah. albums, like when I went through some stuff, I, I put an album out about, it. I had old divorce comedy special and another one another special some shit i went through so it's like it's good time to creative juices are flowing it's really coming from a personal place and it's like all right i got to get this down while i'm this angry or this whatever it's going on and this is perfect when you know you got lawyers in the studio and ozzy they're trying to create so you know the anger was coming out like yeah i don't want these guys in suits you know i don't i don't want to be in depositions i'm a rock star
0: and that shit is not promised just because there's chaos behind the scenes it does not intimate greatness. Um, no, no, it definitely actually doesn't go entirely in the other direction. So thank God for us. And for you specifically, it went in this particular direction this time.
1: Yeah. The thrill of it all is next. My favorite black Sabbath song of all time. Just tell me what it, what it does for you. It just, there's two unbelievable. like I said before, there's two unbelievable songs in one. And this right. song could easily been two songs. I love the lyrics in it. They're kind of inspirational. I remember my like my mom was always like, oh, Black Sabbath, they worshiped the devil. like, oh no, listen to these lyrics. You know, they're positive.
0: What do you think about when it changes about three minutes in with the and that's my story and I'm sticking to it because I got no reason to lie. <sighs> it's unbelievable. It gives it gives me
1: chills every time.
0: I love it. It's it's an interesting place for them to be, I feel, because uh, it actually starts sounding like a, like a more marketable kind of pop metal, almost Def Leppard-like. Huh, I never thought I about and that. And by the way, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I
1: love- right, right. No, I know, but I never thought about that. I mean, just to open up side two, I just remember turning on an album over. After Megalomania just punches you in the face, and yeah. you turn it over and you put this on. It's like, holy shit, you got to be kidding me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just really hammers it within the first minute. I mean, just just hammers you it, it, it rocks it in my notes. It says it rocks so fucking hard. You think your system's going to split directly and fucking it, it. so, just it's a masterpiece of a song. It is. Then there's some weirdness with supers are. Uh, it's an instrumental with a vocalizing choir. So this is sort of like satanic hooded style Gregorian ceremonial type instrumental. It's a very rare thing that you actually get to hear drugs. Because drugs don't typically make any noise. But in Sabbath's case, uh, it, I think it takes the form of a vocalizing choir. I would call this a Spinal Tap level oddity that at the very least is amusing.
1: Yeah, it, it works for some reason. And, I, you know, they used to always play it before um, they came out. On, mm-hmm. Like right, right before when they came out in concert. Twisted Chisties, used to always do that. I used to see them back in the day. They always play it. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. The place would be packed. The place would be going nuts because I knew they're coming out right after that song and Superzar right. was said the same thing on the last few tours. I guess it works well for that. I don't know. For some reason it kind of builds and I I don't mind it that much. I like it more than like a fluff or Laguna Sunrise.
0: That's yeah, I'd have to disagree with you there. I love even those those songs are way more creative. Like those but, songs feel like they're standalone. This feels like I, if I heard it on the radio, didn't know a Sabbath, I would still enjoy it and leave it on. This to me sounds like let's come up with something that, you know, we could walk out on stage to. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Am I going insane radio? Do you know the the whole radio thing, what that was? Yeah. The label wanted a single because
1: they heard it. They were like, this is this album's angry and it's heavy. And we want something to get played on the radio. You got to write a single.
0: That is the reason for the song. But but uh, the, the common conception is that radio in parentheses was was crazy or something yeah yeah that's actually what it means it's cocky mental yeah 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 no
1: i um and believe me like this like i said my son liked this song he picked it out when he was like seven which is weird but this would never be like this isn't a a catchy song where it would be played on the radio it's weird i love i love this song but it's just weird. It would never be like that massive radio airplay.
0: I think it's I think it's good. I don't think it's great or terrible. I think it's just good enough to earn a place on the playlist. Ozzy felt that although he was happy with most of the songs on Sabotage, he felt that this song and Superzar were distractions on what would otherwise be a perfect album. Uh, he's got a
1: point there. But, you know, I, I don't, to me, it, like, it fit in with the record because they always did weird stuff.
0: I mean, I guess because they were back-to-back, maybe. I like this tune. I always like this tune. I know. I think it's funny that it is a catchy song. It's got radio in the title. It's almost like they're like, you know, fuck it. It's almost like their version of We Built This City. May, that was probably totally unfair to compare it to We Built This City.
1: Yeah, because that's, I mean, I don't know what you think of that song, but to me, that's... One of the worst songs ever written.
0: Yeah, it, it, it kind of is. But I it is I the love, just
1: cheese, cheese beyond cheese ball song.
0: It is. And why I love it is because the band that that did it initially, they had so many ideals. And for them to have sold them all down the river so hardcore for uh, We Built This City is what makes the song ultimately a payoff
1: every every store i walk in i hear that song and it drives me insane
0: right and and, then then I, it, and
1: it's so catchy that i can't get out of my head and i get mad
0: right right but then think like in 1967 back in san francisco the band that was screaming the loudest from the rooftops about ideals and you got to be this way you got to be that way was Jefferson Airplane right. so he fucking sold that harder than anybody yeah yeah, yeah. that's why i love it that's why I love it. Because they're just like, fuck it. We're going to sell out in every way, shape, and form of astro. Yeah, so the Rit, uh, the Rit is a lumbering behemoth. Is it their longest song or second longest? No, because I think megalomania, megalomania, you know,
1: yeah, megalomania. Wheels of Confusion is like eight minutes and 46 seconds or something like that. The, right, Rit, right. the Rit is eight minutes and 17 seconds, if I'm not mistaken. 8.45 Wow, man, I was wrong. The vinyl, I always, you know, I not only memorized like the liner notes, I would look at how long the songs were. And I used to know all of that stuff.
0: So do you, are you
1: a vinyl guy? I never got rid of my vinyl from back in the day. I probably got 2000 albums. I put them away for a long time. When vinyl started coming back, I started buying a little, but I have everything on CD. I had everything on cassette. So it's like, I wasn't going to go out. And start buying a more vinyl i'll get some on vinyl but um not really i mean i got everything i need pretty much on vinyl well,
0: most of the time when you're listening to music are you streaming it
1: yeah yeah it's just it's just the most convenient way it but, is through my phone i got apple music i yeah, pay 10 yeah. bucks a month and everything's on there
0: i i have very nerdily put together playlists that really not just uh apple music but itunes match so it matches all my playlists for this podcast it it totally is necessary the the writ is an odd one because it's uh, it's this out and out masterpiece that for some reason isn't mentioned half as much as it should be and that's
1: ozzy's uh kid crying in the beginning of it really going from coming out of am i going insane into the writ that's his that's his son um uh, from his first wife
0: let's talk about the writ this is a really interesting song first of all this is the, the Rit is an absolute epic song that ties up their first period. This is really kind of tying it up because technical ecstasy and never said that I just kind of squanders goodwill more than anything. But um, at five minutes into the song, when the harpsichords and what sounds like harps crash in and Ozzy starts ruminating, it gets me every time. It's unbelievable.
1: I, I mean, I it's, it, yeah, it's, you know, just pure anger towards the management that ripped them off the lawyers, everything they were going through, just like, you know, similar to like megalomania and you could feel their pain and his, his viciousness, how mad he is and just disgusted. It's great.
0: Also, what an incredible thing for them to conclude their purple patch. It's they seem at least, I don't know if they're actually addressing their audience. I, I don't know who they're addressing here, but that section of, are you metal? Are you man? You've changed a bit since you began. I'm guessing it's their audience addressing them. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But I love those lyrics. Uh, oh, yeah. This time out, Sabbath is incorporating its ambitious elements into a folded in, well-incorporated set. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a great album. Lots now, of- do you know that there's a hidden track after that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a hidden track called
1: Blowing the Jug. The album... It would go like 30 seconds after the writ. You let the let the needle keep playing. And all of a sudden, this little song called blowing the jug. And I think it's Bill Ward singing like, yeah, on a yeah, piano. yeah it
0: is. It is Bill Ward. But I, I honestly, when I was listening to the record, I couldn't tell if I was hearing it or if it was not part of what I was listening to, if it was like a bonus thing. Is it on the regular
1: record? No, it's not. They never, it's not on there. The writ closes it out. You know, you have to let the album basically play. It's the run out groove. Right. If you didn't, if you didn't let the album play at the end, you wouldn't know it was there.
0: Again, really confusing in only that way that Sabbath can be. Yeah. This is a great album, lots of synths, peripheral touches. Sabotage has an orchestral, broad-stroked, intense grandeur about it. The drugs are on the downward swing, but somehow they're still able to connect the bat with the ball, which is really impressive. If you've ever done tons of drugs, even over the expanse of one day, try to imagine that times years. Under those conditions especially, this is a masterpiece. Their last great album until their last album four and a half stars five stars no question all right that about does it thanks for joining us a heartfelt discography thanks goes out to our graphic designer todd zimmer and my beautiful wife and son jen and mason be sure to stay tuned because this tuesday brings upon us another incredible episode of discography the private press with paul major wherein you'll be introduced to a new world of music there's very little chance you've heard or heard of before And then this Thursday's wild card episode features an episode of Queasy Listening about, that's right, the most overblown album in rock history Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy. Of course, as well, you're going to want to tune in a week from today for Black Sabbath Part 2 as we invite Jim Florentine back for another round of Metal Mania right here in the subterranean dungeon lair of the mind that is Discograffiti.